Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40. We'll be focusing on selected verses uh, from Isaiah chapter 40 uh, between verses 1 and 26. And I'll let you know which verses. And we'll start at verse 3. Isaiah chapter 40. Focus on 3 to 5, 9 to 14, and 21 to 26. Starting at verse 3, Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Then we jump to 9 to 14. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, and he gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Verse 21 to 26. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God Almighty, uh, again, you bless us with your word. And we recognize the importance and the power of your living word. Again, from the Old Testament, these ancient words speak true to us today and talk about your mighty power and your reigning and your sovereignty and your kingdom here on earth. So we thank you for blessing these words and open up our hearts and our minds to these words and and the proclamation of this word as well, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the next several weeks, we will be having a series of sermons on parables. And these sermons complement the living small groups that are meeting weekly or bi-weekly or other times, and also studying, some of the groups are studying the book, The Kingdom Equation, a fresh look at the parables of Jesus. This is by author and Christian Reformed uh, pastor John Timmer. 
If you're unable to sign up for a living small group, but you still want to do this study on your own or with a spouse or a friend or somebody else, just drop by the office and uh, uh, drop the office a line and ask for a book. They'll be in this week, hopefully. From Timmer's book, we read that a parable is a specific story or sentence that Jesus uses to teach about God and God's kingdom. A parable in simplest terms is this is the Sunday school answer that we've probably grown up with for those who have been in Sunday school and church all their life is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. However, even being an earthly story format, sometimes it doesn't make it any easier for us to understand the meaning behind it. This definition of a parable does not try to get us focused only on things of heaven. Rather, parables attempt us to attempt to get us focused on our world and God's world. Parables are not to put our attention on so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Rather, they're to open our eyes to God's presence in our lives today and in this world at this time. They're to open our eyes at whatever experience we have or whatever circumstances we are going through that we are able to see God in it and through it. Many of the parables, as you'll notice over the next weeks, will refer to the kingdom of God. So this morning, we are going to hear what Scripture says about the kingdom. Now, Timur, in his book, reminds us that the kingdom of God is not easily defined. And he, in fact, he shares a quote from 4th century church father, St. Augustine. And St. Augustine asks the question, what is time? And Augustine answers, I know what time is if no one asks me what it is. But if I want to explain it to someone who has asked me, I find that I do not know how. And that's the same with the kingdom of God. Jesus never defines the kingdom of God. Instead, what he does is he gives stories. And in these stories, and in these parables, the kingdom of God is not portrayed as this neat and tidy, black is black and white is white world. There is tension in these stories. Jesus equates the unfamiliar kingdom of God with the familiar life of every day. And when doing so, sparks begin to fly. Creative tensions occur. Jesus' intention is to shock the people. And his ministry, and that includes his parables, they hit home, so to speak. It's kind of understandable why his ministry only lasted three years. For example, how can the kingdom of God be like actions of a dishonest manager? Or what sort of farmer doing a cost-benefit analysis will leave 99 sheep behind for one lost sheep? What father will give his son such a large inheritance before the father's death? The parables are not intended to point us only to heaven, but they point us to God's kingdom work here on this earth. And we'll continue to be shocked and have tensions created today. When it comes to the kingdom of God, there will be creative tensions among God's people. You can expect it when being obedient to God. I think God's word is intended for us 
to ask questions, to discuss, and to wrestle. The plan of salvation is clearly laid out in God's Word. But how to live our lives in this kingdom and live out our salvation is often difficult and challenging. And it's, of course, best done in community. Again, we can just read some of the parables. And how does the church wrestle with things in the 21st century context? You see, God's word can be comforting. In fact, Isaiah starts off chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people. But God's word can also be shocking. And we may hear things that we don't want to hear. We may learn things that we don't want to learn. We may have to do things that we don't want to do. So this morning, we don't begin with a parable, but we begin with a look at the kingdom of God. And we do that from the perspective of the prophet Isaiah, as we said, from chapter 40. Again, the kingdom is not directly defined, but it's described through words and adjectives that create visual pictures and give us a glimpse. So the prophet Isaiah was proclaiming God's word to the people of Israel. And he was proclaiming words of hope. He was proclaiming words from a God that is so big, a God that is so powerful and almighty, but also a God who desires to have a relationship with each of his people. Just as he knows the names of the stars, he knows his people. A God that is so big, but continues to be faithful to his people. The context of this passage was written while the Israelites were in captivity. And Isaiah was a prophet during the time of captivity. And the Jews were less and less in number, and there was only a remnant left. And they were facing a long and difficult journey. And the victories of Assyria and Babylon and Persian made it look like the false gods of the Gentile nations were stronger than the God of Israel. In fact, doubts were likely entering the minds of the captive Jews. The enemy, the devil, was likely persuading the Jews to think perhaps that there was no God, let alone an almighty God, let alone a faithful, trusting, and loving God. Was the kingdom and reign of God even present on this earth? Times were such that people were feeling quite distant from God. There are things in life distracting people's minds and hearts away from God. But Isaiah reminds them of their almighty and faithful God. Isaiah reminds the people of their great God, their everlasting God, their creator God, their father God. Isaiah asks a lot of questions in this chapter. In verses 12 to 14, there's several questions asking who. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Who can instruct the Lord as his counselor? And then in verse 21, he asks more rhetorical questions. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? And hopefully the answer is assumed to be in the affirmative. Yes, we do know about our almighty God. Isaiah encourages people to, to try to understand the Almighty God, that God has always been. He created a perfect place for his kids to live on. But yes, there is adversity and sin in this sad world. 
And Isaiah writes to the Israelites who are feeling the effects of this sad and broken, sin-filled world. And many others feel the brokenness of this world and the brokenness in your lives. But Isaiah continues to portray an almighty God. And there are more questions that are asked through this passage. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? And Isaiah asks, who created all these? Isaiah proclaims that all we have to do is we just have to take a look all around us. Take a look outside. Take a look to the heavens and you will see God who's named each star one by one. Creation shows God's wisdom, his power, his immensity, his creativeness. Take a look around and you will know God. This is God's kingdom. God is reigning over his world. So let's jump ahead for a moment to the time of Jesus on this earth. And during this time in Rome, the money had the emperor or the king's head on it. Similar to some of our money today. When the people picked up a coin, they were reminded of who is the political king and who is the ruling lord or Caesar. And Jesus is saying, I don't need the money in the world. I have the world. I have the whole world and the whole kingdom. And when you look around the world, may you see Jesus. The emperor only got his mark on the denarius, on the coin. Jesus has his mark on the whole world. In every situation, look for Jesus and his call upon us. You see, our God is almighty. And he's a big God. And as, as was asked in Isaiah, who is my equal? And the answer is nobody and nothing. Isaiah knows that God is greater than all the nations in their gods. And Isaiah knows that nothing, nothing is equal to our God, let alone nothing is greater than our God. God ruler, rules over the kingdom. He is Lord. Isaiah continues to put things in perspective. And he states that we people are like grasshoppers. But as tiny as we are in comparison to this world, in comparison to this universe, in comparison to our God, we still matter. And even though the people are like grasshoppers, God continues to care for each one of his people personally. For that one sheep, God rules over his kingdom. And his people are part of his kingdom. Our God is faithful, and he has promised to continue to provide a remnant and bring his people out of captivity. And he will bring his people back to Judah. God cares and he loves his people. Again, just as he's the creator of this whole world, he is the creator of his people. Psalm 139, 14, we read that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. And as God knows each of the stars in the vast and overwhelming universe that he's created, he also knows your name. John 10, 27, we read, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And that's why Jesus will go after that one lost sheep. He will seek out his people, and he will carry them back. So we may be compared to a tiny little grasshopper, but each human being, each and every person has value. Each and every person has a name. 
and God your Father continues to care for each. We need to acknowledge the closeness that God has with his people. There's a relationship between God and us. And as every relationship, we need to respond. God is reigning, and he's in control of his kingdom. And again, we are part of that kingdom. In the New Testament, Jesus tells his people and tells us that the kingdom of God is near, Mark 1, 15. And Jesus is pointing to the Old Testament. He's pointing to passages like Isaiah talking about God's rule and, and God as king, talking about his kingdom on earth, referring to God's majesty and power and still a closeness and a, and a deep relationship with his people. And in the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught us the words, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God is our faithful Father. And as big as He is and as small as we are, He desires to have a relationship with His people. And He invites us to have a close relationship to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. God has sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to exchange our lives, our old lives, for new ones. We're no longer sinners before God. We are forgiven sinners before God, our Father, through His Son. We are saints, forgiven by the body and blood of our brother, our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is like the dawn of day. The night is behind us. And at the dawn, we can slowly see the sun coming up. But it's still dawn. The light is not completely upon us. It is a beautiful time in the morning preparing us for a more beautiful day. You see, the kingdom of God is already present and visible. And we are living in this kingdom. It's like the dawn. And the light is approaching. And one day the kingdom will completely be fulfilled. Matthew 4, 16. This is where we use the phrase that the kingdom of God is already here. But not yet. But let's not miss out on God's kingdom work all around us. Let's not be distracted missing out on the beauty of God's kingdom and his power all around us, in our lives, in our church, in our community. Timmer uses a modern-day parable in his book. He says, A builder once held an open house to feature the latest in windows from a reputable window company. And this house was set on a magnificent wooded lot with a tranquil stream running through it. And woodland creatures could often be seen enjoying the stream's cool waters, warming themselves on its sunny banks, or resting in the shade of the trees and the bushes. Most of the guests touring the house were so caught up in the craftsmanship and particulars of the windows that they missed what only a few saw when they looked through the windows a breathtaking view of God's creation and his kingdom. As we go through the series on parables over the next several weeks, may we try to understand how the parables are speaking not only to the ancient folks, but to us today. And let's not get distracted with a predefined understanding. Maybe we'll leave with the same understanding, but perhaps even a different understanding of God's word and his will for us. But most importantly, 
let's not miss out on Jesus and what he's doing in this world, in this church, in our community, in our lives. As we begin a new church season, with small groups and various faith education ministries, and as we study the parables over the next weeks, over the next weeks, may you uh, continue or begin to understand God's role in this kingdom and also our role in this kingdom. Our great God desires to have a relationship with his people and he desires you to have a relationship with him. And we have the opportunity to respond as his followers, as partners in his kingdom. As we'll see in many of the parables, the way things are in God's kingdom are different to what we would expect to see in our world. We'll hear phrases such as, the first is last, and the last is first. We'll see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. We'll see Jesus forgive sins of those who seem unforgivable. We'll hear Jesus bless people who don't seem to deserve to be blessed. Jesus will be teaching disciples through everyday scenarios in the parables, such as going fishing. Today it might be going to the movies. Jesus tells a story about a neighbor asking for bread. Today Jesus may use someone asking for some money or change for going to Tim Hortons. Jesus refers to sowing seeds in a field. Today he might be talking about a 24-row corn planter. Definitely John Deere. Jesus talked about looking for a lost coin. Today, it would be looking for your misplaced iPhone. As we go through these parables, speaking sometimes in ancient terms, but may God use these parables to speak to our lives today. We are in the kingdom of God, and God reigns, and he will use each of us in his kingdom. And we have the choice of staying in our own kingdoms or following Jesus in his kingdom. So let's follow Jesus and respond to him for all that he has done for us. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you teach us in many different ways through Scripture. And one of those ways is through stories and sometimes shocking stories. So we thank you for parables and for your word, which tells us a story of what you have done for each of us through your plan of salvation and how we're called to respond to being part of your kingdom here on this earth. We pray that your kingdom come and that your kingdom grows. Bless our congregation and our church and our community churches. May we see you as the head of this church and bring glory and honor to you in all that we do. In the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.